I mean, it, it's a feeling of anticipation. There's an excitement about it. It, it, it's, it makes us just have all... love reading adventure novels and, and those stories. And we like movies like Indiana Jones. And, and uh, we, we enjoy those kinds of things because discovering something new that nobody has ever seen or experienced, or maybe it's just new for us for the first time. Those are things that we do. However, even everyday life can become fun if you look in the right direction. This original Jackson Pollock painting was bought for $5. Do you have that, Matthew? There we go. <clears throat> you never know what you're going to find when you go to a thrift shop. And in 1992, Terry Horton visited one of the local thrift shops in San Bernardino, California. As she was looking for a birthday gift for one of her friends, she saw this painting, and, and, and never being a true art expert, she offered only $5 for it, which the shopkeeper shook her hand and took it. And she walked out with this painting for $5. Now, now they, they, the painting was so big that it didn't fit into any of her friend's rooms at her place. And so she tried to sell it years later. And during a yard sale, an art teacher said that the big painting that she was trying to sell and get rid of might be a masterpiece created by Jackson Pollock. So she invited an expert over to, to look at this painting and have it checked out. The forensics specialist found the artist's fingerprints on its canvas. So there was no doubt this was an original Jackson Pollock painting. One art collector offered Terry Horton $2 million for that $5 purchase. Now, she refused to sell it, and as far as I can know, and I did my research on it this week, she probably still has that painting. She said she wouldn't sell it even for $50 million. So that's where we sit at. Next, there was another man. He found in an old picture frame an original copy of the Declaration of Independence, which he purchased for $4. Now, he bought this $4 painting at a flea market in Adamstown, Pennsylvania in 1989, thinking the frame could be fixed somehow and it could be reused. And when he removed the canvas, he saw a folded paper inside that was stuffed in this, in this frame. And he opened the document and he couldn't believe his eyes because it was this original document that was dated 1776. Now, that the head of the book and manuscript department at Sotheby's, uh, David Redden, he announced that this unique discovery in 1991, but the lucky finder preferred to remain anonymous. Later that year, this masterpiece was auctioned for $2,420,000 at Sotheby's. It's a good $4 investment, would you say not? If only the seller of that flea market would have known what was really hidden in that frame, he probably would never have sold it. A Roman Hoxney hoard was discovered in a field by an amateur metal detectorist. Retired gardener Eric Laws was scanning a field in Suffolk, England, where his friend had lost a hammer. Instead of finding a hammer he discovered the largest cache of Roman gold found anywhere in Great Britain. All right? 
purported his findings to the local authorities, and they organized a proper excavation of the treasure, and they unearthed more than 14,000 items, including coins, rings, bracelets, magnificent silver objects, and other valuable things that were in this field. And in November 1993, the Roman findings were valued at 1.75 million pounds, which is over $4 million for us today. And he was paid that. And Eric Laws was this finder of this treasure. Today the most valuable and beautiful items that were discovered in a field are on display in the British Museum, as well as the hammer that his friend lost. Isn't that great? Three brothers found the golden treasure of Panagurishti, Bulgaria. Now, this treasure is, is a masterpiece of, of Thracian craftsmanship. It was found by the, 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 the Dikoff brothers in 1949. It was near the time of Panakurishta, Bulgaria, and as they were working in a clay pit, they made an unusual discovery. It consisted of a dish, an amphora, and seven rytons, which are uh, vessels that are used to drink out of. And all were made of solid 24-carat gold. Total weight was 6,164 kilograms. Archaeologists have calculated that the treasure belonged to an unknown Thracian ruler in the 3rd century B.C. Since the items are extremely valuable and rare, the Bulgarian authorities prefer to keep them in the vault of the Bulgarian National Bank. They've made copies that they put out in museums and things. An old baseball card collection was found by a family up in their father's attic. It was in February 2011, Carl Kistner, he found 700 rare baseball cards that belonged to his grandfather, Carl Hinch, who died in the 1940s. Think about how rare these cards might have been. Carl was cleaning his attic when he saw the box stashed under a... When he opened it, he saw a bunch of old cards that didn't look like any he'd ever seen before. The large collection was described by experts as probably the biggest, most exciting find in history of sports card collecting, a discovery probably worth millions. And in August of 2011, the family decided to sell some of the cards during the National Sports Collectors Convention in Baltimore, hoping that they might bring up to 2 or $3 million for their family. What a wonderful collection. A $1,250,000 masterpiece covered a hole in a wall for nearly 75 years. All right, It's a $29 painting at the time, and it had been covered this wall in the, a hole in the wall in an Indiana home. And one day the owner of the house realized the value of the work when the family played a game, a board game called Masterpiece. Uh, just a, a little board game. And as they're playing the board game, they realized that painting looks like this painting. <laughs> and so they took this painting, and it was a valuable painting by Martin Johnson Heed. It's called Magnolias on Gold Velvet Cloth. In 1999, 
Experts from the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston confirmed its origins, and they offered a good price to the, to the owner. The painting was still in its original frame and in perfect condition. The seller agreed to accept the $1,255,000 offering, and that now Magnolias is on display in a museum. A rare 1938 Superman comic book was found inside a wall. Now, Amy, when you tore down your walls, there was all kinds of things that people stuffed in their walls, wasn't there? Catch this. It's an extremely rare edition of the action comics in which Superman makes his appearance. It sat inside a Minnesota Holmes wall for over 75 years, and in 2013, while doing renovations in the house, the contractor, David Gonzalez, found the comic book among newspapers used as insulation in the walls of the house. The comic book was then sold several weeks after its discovery for $175,000 to an unknown buyer. Unfortunately, Mr. Gomez ripped the back of the comic, which cost him almost $50,000 off the total price. But it's still... Pretty lucky discovery. In 1947, don't you like these things that people are discovering? In 1947, Dr. Williamson, he was a Canadian geologist. He had been slipping along a rain-soaked road that led through Tanzania's backcountry when suddenly his Land Rover sank to its axles in mud. Well, as he's trying to dig himself out of the mud, he pulled out a shovel and he began to dig his four-wheel drive out he uncovered in the mud an interesting-looking pink stone. He cleaned off the mud of that pink stone. It was very curious. And the more mud that he took off of it, the more he was amazed and excited he became because he couldn't believe what he had found. What he saw was the stone was finally clean was a diamond. Not just any diamond, but it is now what we classify as the pink diamond of Tanzania the largest pink diamond ever discovered, simply by accident. It's an interesting little quirk and fate that, that this geologist stumbled upon this, but as, as, as he would have this surprise, he found a now famous pink diamond of Tanzania, and, and as he cleaned it all off, in 1947, November, when Princess Elizabeth was marrying Prince Philip of Great Britain, Later that year, he gave them this stone as a wedding gift. That stone was uncut at the time. It has now been cut, and it is in what they classify as the pink di Williamson's pink diamond brooch, which you will see Queen Elizabeth wearing from time to time. Beautiful. Similarly, the Bible tells us of a royal treasurer who found the greatest treasure of all. Jesus once said this in Matthew chapter 13. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's, it's this magnificent treasure that you, you're willing to go and sell everything you've got in order that you can get it. Can you imagine that? Just to have it. That comparison caused an Ethiopian treasurer 
to discover something that was of more great value than he had in the whole kingdom of Ethiopia. It was discovered on a dry, dusty road in the desert toward Gaza. We have that story here in the book of Acts, and I want us to read that story and kind of look at what it says for us. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. There, It's a desert road. So he got up and he went, and, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join his chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. And humiliation, his judgment, for it's taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and he began from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As I went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered his chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. I mean, this is just one of many great stories in the Bible about people discovering the treasure of knowing Jesus Christ and a life that's eternal. Their lives are being changed. And it seems like an amazing coincidence that this Ethiopian treasure would, would stumble across the, the greatest treasure of all time, the kingdom of God. But we look a little bit closer in the story, we see that his discovery of Jesus was not nearly as accidental as Dr. Williamson's discovery of that pink diamond. So the question is, why did he, why did this Ethiopian, why did this treasurer of all people in the world why did he find this treasure that day in the desert? Last week we looked back at Philip's perspective, and today I'd like to look at the Ethiopian's perspective. I'd like us to consider how we, like him, we can discover God's treasure as well. First of all, this treasurer of Candace, he was willing to look for something. And as the story begins, he, 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 this treasure has gone to Jerusalem to worship, and, and he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah on his way back. Now you have to understand, he has traveled just one way, approximately 1,500 miles in a chariot. And you think your car rides are long? Can you imagine driving 1,500 miles one way in a chariot to go worship? That's what he did. 
And now he's on his way back 1,500 miles, and he's reading his Bible. Now there's an obscure command in the Old Testament. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, which makes this man's dedication to, to be even more impressive when he's as a eunuch and he's not even allowed to go into the temple. It's like he's, he's going to make this 3,000-mile journey there and back and only get to sit in the foyer. He can't go in and worship because he's a eunuch. And yet, his passion to go worship was there. He's like a man at sunrise tilting his manuscript to catch a little bit of light to read what he's reading and what he actually casts is the rising sun of Christianity in his life. Changed him forever. The question is, who's going to find that treasure today? Who is going to be traveling on a road in a desert or through Versailles? Or maybe they'll be on a boat in the lake and find the treasure of God. You see, it's only going to be anyone who's willing to look. We've got to look. If we don't look, we'll never find it. Like searching for buried treasure, though you may have to dig God's treasure up from under a pile of world religions and, and false ideas and beliefs. You may have to wade through some of the, the more preconceived ideas and, and they've been handed down maybe through your family's generation, through history. But God has promised that everybody who searches for Him will Find him. Deuteronomy 4.29 says that, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. He's not difficult to discover. But you've got to look. And if we don't look, we'll never know. I think there are a lot of people who are just content to discover religion or creeds or doctrines or whatever it is, but the real treasure goes to those who settle for nothing less than Christ Himself. And that's important. How many people have sat in a church every Sunday since they were a child, yet to never truly discover the riches of a deeper, personal, meaningful relationship with Christ because they're just content just to punch their ticket and come in and out? Some people are just too busy with their families or their careers and their work. Or maybe they expect God to come to them and still others reject the very idea of God and His love in this world. But if we're wise, I think we're going to put everything we have in discovering God's treasure. We're willing to go and sell everything and go back and give it all away just to have it. I'm telling you, if you're looking for something more than what this I'm telling you, it's Jesus. And what He has in store for each and every one of us is great. It's more valuable than you could ever imagine. Now this Ethiopian treasure, he represents a lot of people who are religious. They read the Scriptures and they're, and they're looking for God, but they just haven't found that pearl of great price and they need someone to show them the way. And that brings us to our second characteristic of this Ethiopian treasurer. Secondly, he, he was willing to listen to another point of view. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that we've got a lot of people who don't have ears. 
And we have a lot of mouths out there, but we don't have ears. We're willing to talk, but we're not willing to listen. And so we're not, we're hungry for something, but we think we've already got it. And we're searching for that which we believe we already know. But the truth is, sometimes we need to have ears to listen to another different point of view from what we have created ourselves. As this story continues in here, it says, Philip, he ran up to the chariot and, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. He said, do you understand what you are reading? He said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up. Now, when Philip gave that treasure an opportunity to learn more about God's word, he didn't get the door slammed in his face. He, 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 didn't, he, he didn't say, no, I don't know who you are, go away. You're just some crazy, whacked out preacher trying to give me some kind of ideas. He, he was willing to say, okay, well, let's hear what you have to say. I, I don't quite fully understand it, but maybe you can enlighten me some. Now, he'd been reading from Isaiah, and I want us to read possibly what he had been reading. I want us to go a little before that, and we'll go a little bit after what this little snippet in Acts is. So in Isaiah chapter 52, beginning at verse 31, gives us a full description. So as we read through it, just kind of see if you can make some references in this passage of Scripture about Jesus. Behold, my servant will prosper. He'll be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astounded at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised, forsaken of them, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who consider that he was cut, out, cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned among wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. 
He will prolong his days, and the good pleasures of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet... He himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Who's the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? I don't quite understand that. And what the scripture says that Philip then took that very scripture and he began to preach to him Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Why at that moment would he be reading this prophecy about Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his sin offering for us in the middle of a desert with some goofy preacher running along his chariot wanting to know, what are you reading? And discovers the greatest treasure of all, his own salvation. What a perfect segue to share Jesus with someone. And that's exactly what Philip did. The treasurer listened to Philip. He told how Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross and, and how that our sins could be forgiven and, and that we could be reconciled and reunited with God. And, and Jesus' sacrificial death was prophesied by this prophet Isaiah nearly 700 years before Jesus entered into this world as Messiah. Now see, that's not what the treasurer had been taught when he was at worship in Jerusalem. He learned the truth on this dusty road about the good news because he's willing to listen to someone else. What about us? I think there are too many religious discussions that slam doors and close minds, raise voices and clench fists, and we lower our respect for a friend and we close our Bibles. Are we willing to calmly investigate another perspective? Are we willing to allow the, the Word of God itself to honestly be opened up to us so that we will discover the truth there? Or we just believe what we believe because we've been told? Charles Schultz is the creator of Charlie Brown and Snoopy. He's also a, a very strong, committed Christian man. He wrote another book as well, a very humorous book. It's entitled, I Take My Religion Seriously. The subtitle of it, it says... I get into arguments almost every day. Now, in this book, he provides just some little nuggets of, of wisdom here. And he says, don't bother me. I'm looking for a verse of Scripture to back up one of my preconceived notions. How many times do people do that? They have an idea or an understanding about life or about justice or about whatever, and then they start looking in the Scripture to find something that's going to match that. I'm going to throw out a seminary word, that's called eisegesis. That's where you're reading into the Scripture your own interpretation rather than exegesis, which means you're allowing it to speak for itself. How we listen to different ideas about God, about Jesus, and about the Bible. I mean, there are a lot of different ideas out there. 
Some are good, some are bad, some are just flat out crazy. And they just kind of make no sense at all. But sharing our thoughts and our feelings about God and listening to others may help us to see things in a different way. It may help us to understand something that we just didn't make sense to us before. But maybe, maybe you can help somebody else who's confused if they're willing to listen to you. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go off on any kind of wild tangents or or flights of craziness, but we need to be grounded in the Word of God rather than anything else. Just as in Philip's conversation here with the Ethiopian, everything we think or believe must be tested in the light of Scripture. And if the Bible doesn't address it, it's pure opinion. But if the Bible addresses it, you can't change it, correct it, delete it, delineate it, whatever you want to call it. Our perspectives and our opinions have to be tethered to God's Word. We can't go away from that. There's a lot of postmodern relativistic ways of thinking out there that will just strangle your faith. Truth never suffers from investigation. And by sharing a reason of hope, and the hope that you have is probably the greatest thing that you can do for somebody else. But you need to do it with gentleness and respect. And you need to help other people discover this great treasure. Now the final thing is this. In addition to being willing to look and to listen, the treasure was also willing to leave his past behind. That's what it comes down to. Verse 36, it says, As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered him and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And as the treasurer for his queen, he was certainly an intelligent and an industrious man, probably very wealthy. He wasn't one of these guys that could just be swayed back and forth. His religion was Jewish, even though he wasn't by nationality, and it was a good religion, and he was comfortable with it, he knew its customs, he understood its theology, and it taught high morals, and it probably benefited his life somehow, because he finds himself in a very prominent position of Ethiopia. But now Philip was suggesting that he give it up for something that was even better than that? Something better than Judaism? Because Judaism no longer pleased God and was powerless to grant salvation. They were forcing a works salvation, possibly, but not grace. You wonder what must have gone through his mind. I mean, change religions, go against my family, go against my friends and what they believe, start over, admit that I've been wrong all these years? That goes against an intelligent mind. I can't be willing to do that. But when you discover something that is right something that is true, everything else, all the preconceived notions and ideas that may have been false before, you've got to put them by the wayside. Nevertheless, he desired God more than the approval of people, and he was willing to do whatever was necessary to leave everything else behind and follow Jesus. Philip evidently had said something to him about baptism in this passage of Scripture because there's no other reason for him to bring it up under the understanding that, hey, here's water, I need to be baptized. And we go, why? 
He understood the significance of it. This is the new beginning. I'm starting off. I have just left Jerusalem. I'm heading back home. And I've discovered the greatest thing out there in this world that God has ever had to offer. A new kingdom of heaven. And my entrance into it is by my faith and my belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And here's water. It's the doorway in which I need to be baptized and immersed into Him. I need to die and I need to be born again. And so he says, why can't I do this? And so they stop, they get down, they baptize him. Maybe he's going through his mind and he's out in a desert. There's not too much water anywhere. Maybe he thought, if I don't do this now, it may never happen. Baptism in the Bible is always marking the beginning of something beginning of a person's point in life in which they are no longer in their old life, their old self, but they have become a new creation, a new individual in God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, don't you know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And Mark puts it this way as he's writing there in Mark chapter 4. It said, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And when this treasurer saw the water, he knew that he did not have to hesitate or procrastinate or put this off any longer. Why can't I do this right now? And he wanted to demonstrate his devotion to Jesus immediately. In fact, not one person in the book of Acts will you see put it off. Oh, why don't we wait till Sunday when everybody's here at church and that way we can be the example. Why don't we wait till we have baptismal service in July? So if you guys want to get ready for that, we'll hold off for that down the end. No, every time you see somebody in Scripture when they're confronted with their own sinfulness and with the reality that they need to do something to find salvation, they say, now. You look at the jailer there, and, and, and he's like, in the middle of the night, he says, let's go home, let's get my family, let's tell them about Jesus, and they do. And he takes his prisoners with them, and in the middle of the night, they wake everybody up and they baptize the household. Then they head back to jail. Why do we put things off? We should not. When this treasurer saw that, he knew that moment that he didn't make a difference. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms in my name's fake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. This treasure may have been wealthy in Egypt, but he left this scene far richer in heaven. Like the merchant who found that pearl of great price, went and sold everything he had to go buy that piece of property, this treasure was traveling down that dry, dusty road, discovered God's greatest treasure, his own salvation. And like the geologist who happened upon that stone accidentally as he's digging his vehicle out. I think this treasure discovered God, this treasure discovered God's precious treasure, because one, he was willing to look for something. He was willing to listen. And he was also willing to leave the past behind. Maybe you're looking for something more than what you've had in life. 
But are you looking? And are you listening to what the Word of God is trying to say? Are the spirits prodding in your life and the voices of other people who may have a, a little bit of a different grasp on the Scripture itself? But the hardest thing that many of us have to do is are we willing to leave the comforts and the pleasures of what we have known our entire lives and start a new life in Christ? I'll tell you what. It will be the greatest decision of your life if you do. We're going to have an invitation for you. I challenge you to make a decision for Christ.